Welcome to Frontline Voices, a podcast by the Natural Resources Council of Maine. Every day, decisions are made across Maine that impact our environment, and Mainers play a crucial role as we speak up for climate action, the clear air, clear water, and open spaces that we all love. Come sit down with advocates and experts to discuss some of the most important stories that you need to know, what lies ahead, and hear what you can do about it. Thanks for listening as we share our view from the front lines. Winter has finally arrived with the first major snowfall of the season. And what a storm it was. Amazing to see some of those snow totals from across the state, especially at the ski mountains that I know rely on those good conditions. Um, If you enjoy the snow, I hope you got out there to experience it. Our colleague, Sarah, who lives in Farmington, posted a really fun video of her ski trip along the narrow gauge pathway, the Carabasset Valley. That's on NRCM's Instagram and TikTok channels. You can find those at NRCM Environment. Uh, well, I'm your host, Colin Durant. And in this episode of Frontline Voices, we're not really going to talk about winter, although we're excited about it here. Um, we're going to chat with our advocacy director, Pete Didesheim about his top 10 good environmental news stories of 2022. We wanted to end this year on a positive note because we know it's been a tough year for many, uh, but it was also a year marked yet again uh, by some really amazing progress for cleaner air, cleaner water. And that, of course, is thanks to the hard work of many of you, our listeners, uh, in partnership with our advocates and experts uh, like Pete here at NRCM. So welcome, Pete. Uh, glad to be here. Good to see you. I'd love to uh, share good news stories. Well, so let's do it here. I'm, I'm going to do a little drum roll. Okay. <laughs> right. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> Pete, let's dig right into it. Um, let's start with your top 10 good news stories for Maine's environment from 2022. What's number one? Well, first, let me just say that there's it, it was a really successful year and there was big accomplishments at the State House. Uh, we are thrilled with the results um, this year. There was really wonderful positive actions, big ones, small ones, statewide. All of them deserve attention. So I will focus on 10 areas of progress that really do stand out for me. Uh, these are big success stories. Uh, I love shining a, a light on on progress as we wrap up the year and head into the new year. Um, But I don't want to uh, folks out there who are attached to other big success stories to to feel left out, just feel recognized that we know that um, a lot of people have worked really hard this past year and made a lot of wonderful progress across the state. So starting with climate and clean energy, uh, number one, The expansion of climate action at the community level this year was really inspiring and wonderful. Uh, There was a milestone for progress that came on December 1st when Governor Mills announced 2.9 million in new grants for what's called the Community Resilience Partnership Program. It's part of Maine's climate action plan. And that date was the second anniversary of the climate plan. Uh, Maine Won't Wait is the name of it. And the new grants are supporting 91 main cities, towns, and tribal governments to work on climate action. And this brings the total now to 127 communities that are now part of this statewide climate initiative that's playing out at the local level. And if you look at a map of where these towns are located, they're everywhere. Fort Kent, Lubeck, Millinocket, Farmington, Livermore, Kennebunkport, dozens of places in between. And these projects, when you look at the list of what they're doing, it's really exciting. They're installing heat pumps and solar systems. They're doing energy audits of municipal buildings. They're 
They're analyzing groundwater protection issues that might be a, uh, um, part of the risk of, of climate change and, and uh, sea level rise. There's habitat analysis. There's resilience studies. It's all wonderful stuff. So number one, climate action at the love local it. level. Yeah, really love it. And yeah, yeah. And I was, I was, um, that's a great way to kick it off. And I was excited to see my town received a grant with a neighboring town to have a sustainability coordinator, which I know they're really excited about. Um, so it's just, that's just another example of how it's going to make a difference. I think those types of positions we know just like move projects forward, right? Because town staff have so much, particularly small towns have so much on their plates. All right, number two. Number two is, you know, it's related to the other one, which is that 2022 was a year of significant acceleration for the transition to clean energy. It's really clear when you go to the main climate plan dashboard that's available online, developed by the governor's climate team, that main people have installed and taken action across the board on clean energy issues in a big way. So they've installed more than 82,000 high efficiency heat pumps. We've purchased more than and registered more than 8,500 electric vehicles as a 21% increase over the previous year. We've weatherized more than 9,100 homes since 2019. And this progress um, is mapped out really nicely, again, on the main climate plan dashboard. And there's a map there and you can see activities happening all over the state. So number two was accelerating uh, momentum in the transition to clean energy. Love it, making it happen here in Maine. And if folks wanna check out that dashboard Pete talked about, that's at maine.gov slash climate plan, main.gov slash climate plan. All right, how about number three? Number three is top sustainability moment. So this was one uh, that was led by our, our um, sustainable, sustainable Maine team. Uh, really, Sarah Nichols put a lot of effort into this and it was closing the waste loophole at the Juniper Ridge landfill. On April 18th, Governor Mills signed a bill into law that we've been working on for quite a while to close the loophole, which goes into effect now in February 1st of next year. And this is going to prevent out-of-state companies from bringing into the state of Maine what has been hundreds of thousands of tons of out-of-state construction and demolition debris and dumping it at the Juniper Ridge landfill. And most of this waste um, has been coming from Massachusetts. And it's been at a volume of about 16 big rig trucks per day crossing into Maine. And I did a little calculation in 2020, some, something like 203,000 tons of this out-of-state waste were dumped at Juniper Ridge Landfill, which is supposed to be just for Maine, the waste of Maine people. Mm. And that's the equivalent weight of two aircraft carriers. So closing that loophole is going to block a huge volume of waste from out-of-state and increase the recycling of this material. Yeah, and one of the groups that was really critical in working with Sarah on that, Don't Waste Maine, just a shout out to them for all their hard work. And they were uh, the People's Choice Award recipient in this year's NRCM Conservation Leadership Awards. One of the things that I love about this bill, Pete, we closed the waste loophole. And now Sarah is working on a conversation with, with folks about what to do with construction and demolition debris uh, here in Maine and elsewhere to sort of close that loop so it just doesn't end up in the landfill. So I love that, you know, we work together to to close close this loophole to stop this practice. But, you know, it's just a great example of how the same time we're looking 
to try to build that healthier future, right? Like come up with solutions to actually address this prop, this problem. Yeah. Um, all right. Number four, I think we're shifting to forest and wildlife now. Number shifting four. to forest and wildlife. So number four is um, a really important step that was taken. It, the final vote happened last week, uh, mm -hmm. December 14th, to protect the Moosehead Lake region from sprawl and to protect the, just the natural character of that spectacular part of the state. So members of the Maine Land Use Planning Commission approved a new zoning plan uh, that will play just a critical role in stopping sprawl in the Moosehead Lake region. And this represents the end of like a 15 year effort to protect mm. the character of this region from inappropriate development in the wrong places that would fundamentally fragment the landscape and, and just alter um, uh, that area of the state. The new plan is pretty close, I have to say, to what NRCM was calling for back in 2004 uh, when we were going up against the Plum Creek plan, mm -hmm. which was the biggest proposed development in Maine history. So this new zoning plan, Anderson played a big part in, in working with local, um, local folks to bring their voices into this, uh, this uh, community-guided planning process. Um, it will confine development near existing towns within about 1,000 acres in six different zone, zoned areas uh, that will be zoned for development. And this compares to 17,000 acres of development sprawled across the landscape that Plum Creek was pursuing. So that's about a 6% of, of Plum Creek's land will now be, a Plum Creek's development proposal will now be available for development. And it's right near existing towns. And that's mm -hmm. where you really want it so that it doesn't draw energy away from the existing businesses. It builds on uh, the health of those communities and it protects the integrity of the landscape. There's lots of input. NRCM played a big role in this, and we're just thrilled that that, that chapter uh, has now been brought to a close literally 15 years after we started working on the more than that, uh, the Plum Creek issue. Yeah, it's such a sort of pot. We called it up in, a, in the press release we put out uh, a really positive path forward for the region. And yeah. having visited there, um, a lot of times it's just i mean everyone anyone who knows who lives there visits there it's such a stunning place and so important to um you know keep that character unique and I, one thing that people might be interested in this is sort of a zoning plan of vision and so it's not it doesn't tr it, it's it doesn't trigger projects right away any projects no. that are proposed go through the normal land use planning commission sort of permit review zone, you know, and so, so what this does is really provides that framework, like Pete said, that uh, for protecting this region. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. all right, that was number four. How about number five? Okay, number five was, was expanding the state's ecological reserves. So at mm -hmm. the end of March, Governor Mills signed into law a bill to expand our eco reserve system. And this is the system that protects and includes representative examples of Maine's most significant habitat types. The original law that NRCM helped pass more than 20 years ago had a cap on how much land the state could designate as ecological reserves. And with this new bill that we worked hard on and, and got through the system and the governor signed, uh, the state, really the Bureau of Parks and Lands, can designate an additional 11,000 acres of ecological reserves to add that to the system. And the law also has a new provision that will allow Wabadaki tribal members to gather materials on these ecological reserve lands. And we're excited that the Bureau of Parks and Lands, we just really only learned this in the last week or two, 
already has identified three new ecological reserves that they're in the process of adding to the state's ecological reserve system. And it wouldn't have happened without this bill. And this is really about protecting all the pieces of our natural world. Mm -hmm. um, it's really about protecting biodiversity and ensuring that we're passing into the future um, significant habitat types in a protected state and not uh, degrading those. Mm. And they play such an important role for scientists too to 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 look at Absolutely. those places and to understand those places. Um, that that's a good that's a really good one. As a side note, um, we saw a lot of progress on land for Maine's future properties, which is really exciting. Yep. I know a lot of local land trusts had some some big purchases, so there's just a lot of movement going on on land conservation in general too. But certainly the ecological reserves was a was a big one and a really good news story and awesome to hear that it's already resulted in 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 movement. Uh, okay, let's move on. I think we're gonna shift gears to another topic for number six. What's what's your number six? So this one is looking up at the federal level and federal action on climate. And yes, it actually happened this year uh, in August. <laughs> President Biden signed into law the Inflation Reduction Act. This is a huge deal. This is mm -hmm. a transformative bill hands down the most important climate measure of our lifetimes. So many important provisions of this bill that will benefit Maine, the nation, our climate. I'll just touch on a few, but these are going to play out over the next few years in a really big way. So the bill expands access to clean energy by extending clean energy tax breaks, extending them to 10 years. It's going to create a lot of clean energy jobs with 60 billion in manufacturing for solar panels, for batteries and other clean energy technologies in the US, provides funding for low-income families to electrify their homes, including 9 billion in home energy rebate programs. It removes barriers to community solar, making it more accessible and affordable to the average person. Lots of components dealing with transportation sector. Uh, that will help transition us away, transition us away from fossil fuels, including, I think this is fantastic, three billion for the U.S. Postal Service to electrify its fleet of mm. more than two hundred seventeen thousand vehicles, the largest government fleet in the nation, and that process is already underway. There's a billion dollars in there for clean school uh, and transit buses, garbage trucks, all sorts of other heavy-duty vehicles. So this is really just an enormous step forward by the government working at the federal level, work, work, working with the state level, working with communities to invest in the clean energy system of our future. Big, big deal. Yeah, really excited, really exciting moment for climate action in the United States. And, you know, you're seeing, you're seeing, you're, I feel like you read news every day about how this law is uh, getting turned into action, whether that's the sort of incentives or grant programs, or you know, uh, new factories, that sort of that sort of thing. So it's your art. I mean, it's really exciting to see that happening in real real time from a bill that you know was passed just months ago. Um, okay, that was number six. How about number seven? Number seven, shifting into healthy waters. So. Um... So the legislature uh, passed uh, in March a bill to uh, help protect Maine's rivers and streams, and, and it passed it unanimously. 
uh, the House and Senate, you heard that right, they passed it unanimously <laughs> to protect 800 miles of rivers and streams. And it's so fitting that this happened in the 50th anniversary year of the Clean Water Act, which we brought a lot of attention to For in sure. previous podcasts. And the bill was signed into law on March 31st. This particular river reclassification upgrade package includes 22 rivers and stream segments across nine counties, and they host some of the state's top freshwater habitat for brook trout, Atlantic salmon, lots of other species. And many of these segments will now be designated at class AA, which is the most protective level of water classification available in, the, in Maine law, which prohibits dams and discharges into those waters. And we're thrilled that every stream within the Katahdin Woods and Waters National Monument through the, because of this law will now be recognized as outstanding national resource waters with upgrades uh, to the class AA level. So mm -hmm. this is great. Really good for Maine's clean waters, rivers, and streams. Yeah, that is such good news because, you know, as we've talked so much about with the 50th anniversary, clean water is, you know, no doubt part of Maine's, identi Maine's identity. It's tied to outdoor recreation industry, you know, uh, growing businesses like craft brewers depend on it. So um, really great news. Um, shifting gears, I know the next two, eight, nine are a little less issue focused and a little broader. So what are, what, what are your eight, eighth and ninth top good news stories of the year? Okay, so these are two really inspiring moments. Um, number eight is citizen action in the Downeast uh, part of the state of Maine. Mm -hmm. In May, the town of Pembroke voted to ban industrial mining. So this is a part of the state that it's, a you know, Pembroke is a small town. Um, but by a vote of 129 to 48, the residents of that town decided to permanently block the plans of a Canada-based company called Wolfden from pursuing a silver mine that threatened to pollute their waters and cause all manner of environmental harm. The proposed mine would have been right near drinking water uh, wells that the town relies on for clean water and just a couple miles from Copscook Bay. And we've been celebrating a lot of environmental champions this year, the Brookie Award winners, the 100 clean water champions who have helped protect Maine's waters over the last 50 years. Lots of people uh, were, were um, recognized at the Conservation Leadership Awards, um, including uh, several who were involved in this effort by uh, the town of Pembroke, who really sent Wolfton packing um, it was a, it was quite inspiring. If anybody wants to read more about this, I encourage you to look online. There's an article titled "How a Small Town in Maine Stopped a Silver Mine." It's uh, it's an online journal called In These Times. It's a terrifically inspiring story, and stories like this have played out over across over time across the state of Maine. It's really citizen action that's helped protect uh, Maine's environment more than anything else. Yeah, for sure. That was such a great story. And we had uh, Robin, who was part of that effort on the podcast a couple episodes ago, too. If folks uh, missed that, you can go back and find that episode. Um, how about number? What's that? <laughs> She's a real hero. Yes, she <laughs> is. Yes. Also honored at the Conservation Leadership Awards. Yeah. Um, so how about number nine? Okay. Another uh, inspiring moment came um, just a few weeks ago uh, on December 7th at the State House, that was the opening day, the swearing in day. And it was just incredibly inspiring when Rachel Talbot Ross became the first black lawmaker elected by her peers to serve as the speaker of the Maine House of Representatives. 
and she was there with her father, Gerald Talbot, looking on, sitting in the same seat that she used to sit in, watching him when he was serving as a member of the legislature when he was elected as Maine's first Black lawmaker 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. So that was just really a powerful moment for everybody in the chamber. Mm -hmm. uh, she's been a leader on environmental issues and many other issues, uh, including tribal sovereignty. So we really look forward to working with her. Inspiring moment, you know, it's always an inspiring moment for me just to see lawmakers getting sworn in and 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 make that that first step into the new legislature. But it was particularly exciting this year to also see how diverse. Uh, this legislature is. It's the most diverse ever with two Somali Americans elected to serve in the main legislature. So um, that was inspiring. Mm -hmm. Really good news. I think, um, you know, we've got the legislative session coming up and, and there's a lot of, a lot of hard work to do for sure. Um, okay. I know for number 10, we wanted to shift inward a little uh, and focus yeah. on a top 10 good news story from NRCM. <laughs> so so without revealing too much, what's number 10? Okay, so this is a little of a departure, but I would say uh, in this top 10 list, number 10 is NRCM's desire, decision to hire a new CEO, Rebecca Sanders. Definitely a big moment for NRCM. NRCM has only had a couple CEO transitions in the past 40 years, so this is a really big deal for us, and it's, it's really exciting. Rebecca Sanders will join NRCM in late January, She'll arrive with just a wonderful mix of experiences from her time as senior vice president for National Audubon, number of other positions. She's engaging, has great listening skills, great management skills, loves Maine, is thrilled to be joining NRCM. So it's really great. I've loved serving as the interim CEO since July. I've got another full-time job that I need to start paying my, uh, shifting my attention to at the state house and working with our policy teams. Um, but we're really thrilled that uh, we made this decision and that we'll be moving into the new year with a new CEO. And we look forward to many opportunities for our members and supporters to get to know her and meet her and work with her um, as we move forward. Absolutely. For the next chapter of NRCM. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As we enter the next chapter. And I'll also say that, you know, the staff had a chance. We were lucky enough to meet with Rebecca briefly. Um, uh, when it was announced she would be our next CEO and in that energizing sort of thoughtful personality you talk about really came through. So I know folks sort of here are, are just as excited about it and we're really looking forward to it. And we got to give a huge shout out and a, and a thanks to you, Pete, for serving as interim CEO. I honestly, I don't know how you did it. I don't know how uh, I did it. <laughs> <laughs> you kept you. the organization steady and moving. I know it was a lot of hard work. I know pro probably some sleepless nights sounds cliche, but I think it was probably legit. Um, so just know from, from us, and I know a lot of others, it was really appreciated. So thank you for that. Labor of love. Yeah. Love this organization. For sure. Well, Pete, thanks for this fantastic top 10 list. I hope it, um, I hope it leaves people inspired, motivated as we enter a new year. It never ceases to amaze me what we can accomplish here together in Maine. Uh, before we go, I did want to give another plug for the annual Dip and Dash. It's our 15th annual Dip and Dash. It'll be happening in person this year on December 31st in South Portland. So this is your chance to start off the new year with a fun 5K and then a dip in the ocean. Or if you prefer, you could just do the dip or the run, whatever you want. 
Uh, but head on over to nrcm.org today to sign up for this event. I know Pete's going to be there. He hasn't missed one yet. I've been there for all 15 of them. So nice. if you haven't done it before, if you've done it before, join us. Nice. It's, it's a blast. It is. Um, and thanks. Great bragging rights with your friends. Good bragging rights for sure. Um, and and uh, it was like mild the last couple of years. I don't think that's going to be the case this time. It's Who pretty knows, cold out but, there right now. But it is an important fundraiser for our climate yes. and clean energy work. So it's absolutely, you, you know, that's the most important thing. <laughs> it, it's not as bad as it sounds. I can no. attest to that. It's actually pretty fun. The whole thing is done in like 10 seconds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you wouldn't part, even know what happened. Is, yeah, the run is longer, but obviously the dip goes quickly. Uh, you can always bring your daughter with you. Last year, I brought my daughter with me when That's we right. did it. We did a, we did a, a group. Virtual. Yeah, it was virtual last year. We did a group dip. I did it with you, Pete, and some friends yeah. in Brunswick. And she had to... Um, <laughs> There was like one, two, three, go, and everybody ran in, and my daughter had to be like, uh, "Are you going?" And I and I was, I was like the last one. <laughs> you in. were hesitating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Anyways, but it was great. It was a lot of fun. Um. Yeah. So thanks again, Pete. Um. And thanks as always to you, our listeners, for tuning in. We're gonna be back in 2023 with lots more updates on the news impacting Maine's environment. As we talked about, there's going to be a new legislature uh, in session starting January, so you can be sure there's going to be a, plenty to talk about. Uh, but until then, I hope you all have a wonderful holiday season, and thanks again for tuning in. Thanks for listening to Maine Environment Frontline Voices. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to our podcast or leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and several other podcast listening apps. Since 1959, NRCM has been tapping into the power of the Maine people, science, and the law to protect and enhance the nature of Maine. To learn more about our work, visit nrcm.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.